everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stansbury, and today we're talking about climate change, which I know could be an overwhelming topic, but with this episode, we're going to focus on the solutions and the ways that regular Austinites, just like you, are making a difference. And how? (laughs) It's all tied to our city's Climate Ambassador Program. Here's what the city's website says about it. Quote, Climate solutions can improve the quality of life of all Austinites, but climate change impacts don't affect everyone equally. As part of the Austin Climate Equity Plan, the Office of Sustainability is working to reach people who have been systematically left out of, misrepresented in, or ignored during climate change conversations and planning initiatives, including low-income communities and communities of color. That's why we created the Community Climate Ambassador Program. Through the six-month paid program, ambassadors will learn about climate justice, engage their communities, and support the implementation of the Climate Equity Plan. End quote. And so what exactly is that climate equity plan they're talking about there? Um, this was approved by City Council back in 2021, and it lays out a high-level vision and plan for getting Austin to net-zero community-wide greenhouse gas emissions by 2040. Okay, so back to those climate ambassadors. Each of them chose a project to focus on over the past few months, and now that the second cohort is wrapping up, I was lucky enough to have the chance to talk with a few of them about what it is that they worked on. So the first climate ambassador we're going to hear from is Dylan Casanova, so UT student focused on sustainable and affordable housing. Let's go ahead and give that interview a listen. All right, I'm here with Dylan. We're talking about uh, community climate ambassadors. Let's just jump right into it. Um, what was the project that you decided to focus on from this program? So they gave us different sections of the climate equity plan that we could kind of base our projects off of. Um, and I kind of went for uh, transportation and land use because I'm very interested in figuring out ways to make affordable housing in the city of Austin that is also sustainable. So that fell under the land use um, and also coincidentally because sustainable housing is very close to transportation also just kind of worked out that way. So the crux of my project was uh, to figure out how to make housing sustainable and then also how to make it affordable. Awesome. And you're a UT student as well, right? Yes, I'm a fourth year uh, sustainability studies. Uh, major at University of Texas. Great. So this is something obviously very important to you, both from what you're studying and I'm sure affordable housing comes up as a UT student as well. Um, Okay. So let's talk about more specifically on the project. Now, my understanding is maybe you wanted to focus a little bit on like cooperative housing models. Yeah. So I currently do live in a student cooperative uh, situation. Um, we are we have 76 members and we operate within two floors within the larger building known as the super co-op in west campus um i originally chose this because uh you know it's less expensive than the rest of west campus but i also quickly upon moving here figured out that it's actually more sustainable because you have instead of individual consumption of resources like electricity um, water things like that, you have collective consumption because we share one kitchen, um, we share meals, we work together to maintain the house. We don't have like a maintenance team. 
like everyone who lives here plays a part in maintaining the ecosystem here. So when I was approaching affordable housing, I figured, well, you know, we could also make it sustainable by making it cooperative because it is more sustainable than regular apartments. And then we can also apply practices such as like community gardens and um, uh, renewable energy as well to make it even more sustainable. Yeah. So let's talk more about what it's like to actually live in a cooperative housing complex. Cause I think, you know, not a lot of people have experience with this. So what does it mean? You have your own individual room um, and then everything else is shared. Kind of talk, just talk us a little bit about what it looks like and, and what you mean by really like sharing in doing everything together. Sure. Okay. Well, um, so imagine you live in a one bedroom, one bathroom apartment by yourself. You're buying all of your own groceries. You're paying all of your own bills. And, you know, let's say you need something from the store or you need like a, like batteries or something random, right? Right. I'm making well, dinner that night and I forgot that I don't have eggs or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Well, when you live in a cooperative, instead, there's a whole community around you that you could you can get something from you can text in our we use discord to communicate so you can text in the discord hey does everyone anyone have batteries does anyone have eggs that i can use um and if not we do have a house supply so when you live in a cooperative at least when you live in my the cooperative that i live in you have your own room and then we have a kitchen that everyone uses to store food to eat meals um and then we have a lot of common spaces for everyone to do homework in just to hang out in. And then, um, as I mentioned, instead of like having a maintenance team, everyone in the, in the house is required to do two hours of labor per week. So what that looks like, you could end up doing cleaning shifts. You could do cooking shifts. You could do, we have serving labor. We have literally people who serve the, the, the meals. We have like a hot tray, kind of like cafeteria style. Um, we have people who deep clean common spaces. We have people who take out the trash. Like everyone plays their part in this little ecosystem that we have here. It's not just, oh, I live in this apartment and then I have neighbors, but I don't even know who they are. You know, there's a lot of interaction. There's a lot of community that's fostered. And we have a say in how our houses run. You know, technically, this is a democracy. So we have house meetings every week where issues that affect all of us you know we talk about them and we vote on things that can make us better like we need to we need to replace our basketball hoop in our courtyard so i put forward a motion to buy a new basketball hoop using one of our budgets and it got passed and everyone voted for it and so now we're going to have a democratically uh voted on new basketball hoop uh so you know and that anything you want to change in this space you can do democratically all you got to do talk to your housemates and then bring it forward in a house meeting so it's 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 a really unique experience that I think more than just students could definitely benefit from yeah it's it's really interesting you know and because you're talking about obviously it could be less expensive obviously because everyone doesn't have to have their own thing but also you're talking about building a sense of community that a lot of people I know are in search of especially Younger people or people new to the city might not know anyone anyway. Good way to meet people, I guess, as well. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's other co-ops, too, around us. So we're constantly doing other events with them. You know, we just had a little co-op market at one of our other properties. So, you know, really, it's a it's it's really a unique space where you can meet all kinds of different people. And 
learn things about yourself that you didn't even know were there. Right. And so where do you see the potential for co-ops then beyond just student housing? You know, I think there are a few of these kind of famous ones that are on UT's campus, but it seems like what you're talking about here is looking at the potential for this being a model throughout the city to increase affordability. Yeah. So I've talked to people, you know, who are city staff and I've worked, I mean, I've talked to people who are just, you know, regular working class people. I, I, you know, I have a job on the east side, so I, I get to meet a bunch of different interesting people over there too. And the consensus that I've really gotten from talking to a lot of people in this community is that they're looking for more than just, you know, the new high rises that are being built or, you know, the same old properties that are, you know, increasingly getting more and more expensive no matter where you look in Austin. And we have a lot of young families that, you know, they may not necessarily have enough room in wherever they're looking or, you know, uh, the costs of owning a personal vehicle are expensive. So they're looking to stay downtown, but it's too expensive. So where I really see this going, the direction that I see this going in is having a space like the one that I live in, but where, you know, families can live, where individuals can live, where couples can live, um, you know, spaces where you have a lot of common spaces you have you know mediums for exchange like here we have our laundry room it's where you exchange you know goods that you don't want other people wouldn't take it for free we can have the same thing community gardens um and also the potential for things like rain barrels uh, renewable energy because the truth is that like food and other resources like that are just getting more expensive so when you have this model of collective consumption it doesn't matter if you're, you know, an individual or a family of two, three, four. When you live in a community, you, you, you protect each other and you work together to uh, collectively exist. And then that also increases your bargaining power when you're talking about dealing with landlords, dealing with, you know, rent increases. The, the point of the current model of living is to keep a lot of people isolated so that they feel like they can't really, you know, bargain and they can't really, you know, do anything about rent increases. Yeah. And so what do you see as the barrier right now in Austin from co-ops being more widespread? I mean, I'm just not seeing a lot of people trying to do it. You know, we have, we do have some affordable housing developers who have done a pretty good job of, you know, getting housing that is financed by the city and by private developers uh, built. And, you know, they're pretty, they're solid properties. They're really nice properties and they, they come at a pretty good cost depending on what your, you know, income level is. But I don't see, there's just not any like developers that are trying to do this. Um, obviously, if I were to try to do that myself, it would require a lot of capital, a lot of investors, and I would need to get some people at the city level on board with it. But that's, that's really the main barrier is money and power. Mm -hmm. And so what was the crux of kind of the project that you worked on through the uh, climate office here? Uh, the crux of it was research. Okay. Um, I spoke to several different people um, who worked from who worked in the city, uh, specifically with the housing and planning department. I had the uh, really nice opportunity to speak with a few of them just to kind of about like the, the city's process in getting affordable housing built. Um, 
kind of the overall layout of that department. It's uh, it's actually a lot more complex than I kind of ever would have thought it would be. Um, and so research, talking to people, and then kind of just kind of what I really liked about this was that uh, design and coming up with these broad abstract concepts, they're not, that's not really like my forte. So I kind of got to explore what it was like to take an idea and like really put it onto paper, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I just kind of got to put everything that was in my head onto paper and just kind of envision what a large scale uh, affordable housing unit would look like that is also self-sustaining, which is, uh, you know, to me, the most important thing that could have come out of this. Mm -hmm. And so what, what's next for it? You know, you said you're able to kind of lay out this vision. Um, are you hoping to share it with others that might have, you know, ethicity or influence or what, what do you feel like could be next? There's a couple different possibilities. I think no matter what, I definitely want to just get the word out because as far as, as far as I've uh, been able to gather, like people don't really even know this exists. Right. Um, you know, most, most cooperatives are business cooperatives mm -hmm. um, or something like that. But, you know, very rarely do you have housing cooperatives. And when you do, they're very small. You know, I know of a few outside of West Campus in South Austin that are much, much smaller than this. But when you, when you, when you have a situation like in Austin where, you know, housing prices are increasing exponentially and you're having a lot of people move in and then you're also having, you're, you're not having you know, the uh, wages meet the, meet the prices of housing, you, you have the demand for affordable housing at, at a large scale, which Austin is trying to do, but, you know, you're, you're always going to need that. That's always going to be a need. Housing is always a need. So I do think that maybe one day this could, you know, be made into policy, but I think the immediate step is just going to be getting the word out and educating people about what that means. Right. So it seems like what you're you're talking about here is kind of creating a, a constituency or, a pub, you know, an Austin public that wants this, that is starting to ask for this, both from our city and also even from like private developers and private companies to make it aware like, hey, this is something people are interested in. This might be worth giving it a try. I really see this idea as kind of giving people the opportunity or at least like the incentive to get more involved in local politics anyway. Mm -hmm. um, one, one interesting that I've learned, one interesting thing that I have learned here studying, you know, urban studies, I've taken a few urban studies classes at UT. What I've learned is like the people that show up to city hall meetings aren't necessarily the people that are working downtown, working hourly jobs, renting in the city. The, the people that are showing up to city hall are the people who live in areas like Westlake and farther out from the city who have the time to come down here and show up. And one thing you learn in a cooperative and a democratic environment is the people who make decisions are the ones who show up. So when it comes to an issue as important as housing, um, obviously there's been you know a lot of controversy with that in the past. And you know Austinites do have strong opinions about this, but I think this is an idea that can kind of rally people who you know are have been underrepresented and can you know give them the the uh, the will to kind of show up to city hall and say hey this is something we want this is an actionable plan 
that we want to see in the city of Austin so that we can live, you know, where we want to live at a reasonable cost. Cool. And so what, what makes you so passionate about, about doing this work? Um, my passion for this work really just comes from where I live. You know, I am a, I'm a leader in this cooperative community. I'm actually going to be the director of um, my cooperative next year. So it's just, you know, this is what I already do. And I, I've seen what this model can do for students. And I just want to see that replicated for other people. You know, I, I've literally asked people um, who are not students, you know, do you, would you like to pay less in rent? Obviously, yes. Would you like to pay less for food? Obviously, yes. Would you like to live in a cool place where you can meet a bunch of different people and just literally belong to the community and not just go home to your apartment every night? Obviously, yes. So like, you know, it's it's just nice to, I just want people to have the same experience that I've had because I've had such a positive experience with this. Um, and this is what I do every single day, just help run this place and, you know, spread vibes, spread the good vibes. That was Dylan Casanova. And what comes next for him? Well, Dylan says that he wants to continue his research into cooperative housing models, eventually putting together a policy plan for the city, and then educating the public about it. If you'd like to learn more about cooperative housing, the City of Austin Economic Development Department is actually hosting an online intro course about how to get started on the path to create your own cooperative housing. Um, And that's going to be hosted on June 21st. You can find registration info about that on the city's website, and we'll also post a link in the show notes. So next, we're going to hear from Keisha Prince, another climate ambassador also focused on housing. Uh, Keisha is working on an educational video that explains the connection between increased climate disasters and renters' rights. The video will highlight renters' rights to repair, organize, and to report unaddressed apartment hazards to the city authorities. Okay, let's go ahead and listen in on that interview I recorded with Keisha Prince. All right, I'm here with Keisha. We're talking about the Austin Climate Community Climate Ambassador Program. Keisha, you're you're one of the climate ambassadors this uh, cohort. Um, what is the project you decided to focus on? Um, my focus is on uh, tenants and tenant rights and the relationship between the climate and fair housing and housing issues. And let's talk about that relationship, because I think for some that might not be an obvious connection, right? Like how is renters' rights and tenants' rights connected to um, climate? Well, they can be connected, like, for instance, um, what happened to a lot of tenants um, during and after the Yuri storm. A right. We had, of- there were people, right, who they couldn't, their, their apartments were unlivable really i mean they had been flooded or they didn't have access to clean water yes ma'am a lot of the apartments were flooded but um what exasperated a lot of people's experiences is where was that the um apartments hadn't been kept up you know before the storm so the storm just made it you know 10 times worse than it would have been and what made you decide to focus on this issue being affected by the Yuri storm and having a management company at my apartments not offer any assistance. 
they actually wanted me to live in that apartment while it was repaired. And I just thought that this is crazy. This is not right. And so I decided to stand up for my rights as well as the rights of the other apartment tenants that were affected. And what kind of damage had happened to your apartment from the storm? Uh, well, when the pipe burst it, um, it had water came into my apartment for days because I had left because there was no electricity. And my neighbor upstairs was home, but she's not a non-English speaker. And when she saw water coming out of my front door, she just knocked on the door. She never notified the apartment complex to come cut the water off. And so by the time I got there, it was like three feet of water. It was coming out the door. And I called the fire department to shut off the water. And when they came and looked inside the apartment, they notified me that the roof could cave at any time. So it looked like the the walls were melting and it was a carpeted apartment. So it was feet of water. I mean, it was coming, it was still coming out of the uh, light fixture and the smoke detector when you enter the, the front door. Wow. And so when you're so talking could, about having to stay there while repairs were happening, that's why that was, you know. Yeah. yeah. They didn't even notify me for six days. They came in and ripped out the carpet and the drywall and everything. And they didn't even know where me and my son were. Mm-hmm. They didn't try to call or anything. So after about five days of calling, leaving messages on their machine, I called, I emailed every news organization on a Wednesday because I found department wet on a Friday. So that Wednesday I emailed every news station and Thursday morning I woke up with the message from Denisha Heron from KVU. So at noon on that Thursday, they were at my apartment taking pictures and doing the first story. Mm-hmm. Did that end up helping? Oh, they fixed my apartment fairly, <laughs> fairly quickly. <laughs> But what about everybody else? Right. And a lot of people, they they didn't have anywhere to go. They didn't have money for a hotel or anything like that. So they lived in construction. And actually, to this day, there are some people that flooded in the Uri storm at that apartment complex that are still without walls. They demoed it and never fixed it. Hmm. This is two years later. And so this is what gets to this tenants' rights and tenant organizing. So so what have you been doing through this project in order to help people to understand? Because it seems like part of what you're getting at is that people might not realize that there could be an avenue. There are resources out there perhaps that might help them um, yeah, stand up for their rights as a tenant. Well, a lot of people don't do not know what their rights are as tenants. And we don't have a lot, but we do have some. Mm-hmm. And through some of the work that I've been doing and the people I've been in contact with, um, we were able to get the city council to pass something called the right to cure. And the right to cure basically gives you gives you more time if you're about to be evicted. So it um, has the landlord, um, they have to give you resources, provide you with resources and give you more time. Then, you know, because really the way the law is set up, if you owe your landlord even one dollar, they can file for eviction. Hmm. 
they don't they they're not required Texas law they're not required to work with you so the Austin City Council passed passed something that would would help us and the right to organize without fear of retaliation because when we organized I um, helped founded the Neighbors at Rosemont Tenant Association at my apartment complex and we had a um member of the management company lived on the complex. So every time we met, they called the cops. Wow. So we had, we had the cops called on us numerous times. Um, they didn't want us to put flyers out. So we reached out to the owners and got permission and they still called the cops on us. So we had the cops called on us. Wow. You know, just for holding were, a meeting of the tenants. Yes, we surely did. Um, our complex decided that because of the Yuri storm that they were going to evict 87 people. And I was one of the 87 people. So we organized and we went to the county commissioners and we were able to uh, get them to take the eviction back. I mean, the eviction notices back and to relocate us while repairs were done. Yeah. And so what you're doing with this project here you know, you, you talked about you've had some personal experience then learning, like wake, making your way through this process, r- what rights are available, what things you could do politically. Um, I, I think I read you're, you're working on maybe um, a video or something in order to help uh, share some of this information with other tenants who might find themselves in a situation like you were. Yes, we did a, a PSA on uh, tenant organizing and tenant rights and fair housing. Yeah. And what kind of information do you include in there? Uh, we kind of decide, uh, define what fair housing is, what tenant rights is. We uh, define the right to organize and things. So it's, it's to be informational and let them know, you know, we're probably going to um, put the link to BOSTA. That's Building and Strengthening Tenant Organization. They uh, are a nonprofit that uh, assists in starting tenant rights organizations. They know a lot about tenant rights. So we'll have some pamphlets out and a link, you know, for them to click on for them to get more information if they want to know about it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, after going through all this process, both the climate ambassadors and, you know, your own personal journey dealing with all this, these issues from the storm, like what are some of your big, I don't know, takeaways or, or, or lessons learned, like what did this experience show you? Uh, It showed us that, you know, renters need to have more rights. I mean, there's more renters in Austin than homeowners and Mm -hmm. we have zero rights. So we have to work to get things changed because eviction is the main cause of homelessness. Mm -hmm. And we, you have to stick together. We can unite and get together. If there's power in numbers, you know, you have to get yourself out there and talk to your district representative, talk to your city council member, talk to the county commissioners, you know, count, talk to senators, you know, get out there and get the word out there. Because a lot of times you tell your story and people don't even know that that's going on, you know, and they're mortified that that's going on here in Austin. Mm-hmm. And what about what could come next? Do you know, like what, what do you think um, the city could be focusing on next to strengthen, strengthen renters rights and protection? Or if, you know, if you had more uh, 
you know, unlimited money or power? Like, what what do you want to see happen next? What do we need to do as a community? Well, you, they need to change some of the laws and give renters more rights, you know, because, I mean, we really have none. I mean, to owe someone a dollar and they can file eviction, kick you out, evictions on your record. So the more people are evicted, I mean, you know, stuff happens. And uh-huh. as high as rent has to come, it's very easy to be evicted. And so you get evicted and you can't rent anywhere anymore. <laughs> you know, you can't, you know, so that's just, it doesn't, we have to work together and, you know, make eviction, you know, almost extinct. Mm-hmm. And I so guess too, a- when we have weather, you know, you know, as we've seen, like Winter Storm Yuri, it could happen again. We could have another situation like this, right? There's always something that pops up that could affect your the livability of an apartment complex. Yeah. And we need to work more towards saying the word mold and mold is, you know, in our homes. Um, we've worked, uh, I worked with another organization called Tadat trying to build a relationship between tenants and code mm. so that tenants know what code do and what they don't do. And then code understands things from a tenant's perspective. And so they um, have purchased moisture meters because code can't do anything about mold. But really? They have purchased some of their moisture meters. So that's coming soon. They have to get trained on it and stuff like that. And they got an initial shipment, but they're going to get some more. So eventually, maybe before this year is over, over they can come in and landlord can't say there's no mold in there we, just because they painted over it. Because you paint over it, it's coming back paint feeds mold uh-huh so that's a big deal a lot of tenants are dealing with mold and mold can be deadly it's very unhealthy right so this is allowing giving the city's code department the tools they need so maybe if a tenant says hey i think i think we've got a problem out here the city code department might be able to come and actually test and say yeah you're yes. right there is code there is mold and, and yes. might be able to do something you know enforce it's- that with the apartment owner Exactly. It can't be a he shade. Tenant says there's mold. Right. The landlord comes in and paints over it. I fixed it. There's no mold in here. Right. But the meter doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's something that's big. Yeah. That's coming. And what you're talking about, all these things here, some of the renters' rights, the right to cure, the these meters, this is kind of the, this is the result of some of this tenant organizing that you're talking about. This yeah. is only happening because people like you are are working together to put some pressure. Yeah. they also another right is the right to repair. You have a right to have your apartment repaired. And then you have a right to uh, report things to code, to call code. And a lot of apartment complexes retaliate against that. You know, well, we're not going to renew your lease. We're going to evict you. We're going to find some, some mm-hmm. issues, you know? So those are rights that are very critical, you know, to tenants. And that was Keisha Prince. And for our last Climate Ambassador interview, let's listen in on an interview I recorded with Sibel Porto and Andres Pedrasa, who teamed up to work on an emergency preparedness project. All right, we're here with some more Climate Ambassadors. Um, my understanding is, y'all, your topic was um, dealing a little bit with emergency preparedness, right? Um, one of you want to dive in, just give us a 
a brief idea, what was your project you focused on? Good. Our project uh, has to do with the sustainability department of the city of Austin. Um, it has also to do with spreading the word out to the community about what to do when the disaster happens, you know, when a disaster happens. So you need to be ready before something like that can happen. And one of the tools that the city of Austin is uh, promoting is the neighborhood preparedness guide. We are in charge of letting the community know about this guide. And also sometimes when we do community events, especially during um, uh, these, um, these times that we, we went through the, the cold weather in, in February, I wanna say, it was kind of like the perfect timing to, to be talking about this type of that, the, sorry about that, to be talking about how to be prepared, the, you know, how to learn how to build a kit to be ready. And on top of that, how to be connected with your neighbors and also how to set a plan. And so when you talk about um, educating the community about these things, what did that look like for you all? Did you host some events in the community? How did you get the, the word out? Because I know this is a common problem with the city. You know, they have a website that has this information, but not a lot of people visit the city's website. <laughs> so how did you actually do some community outreach? So we, we participated, for example, in events that the city hosted in the public libraries. I had the opportunity myself to be in those, two of those, uh, one in South Austin, another one in North, uh, North Austin. And I had kind of like uh, a sense of uh, how the community is getting this information at the right time. And, and they love it because they are learning, they, they, they bring their kids and at the same time, their kiddos are participating, uh, getting information. There is kind of like a, the, the city of Austin put together a backpack, which is uh, what a, a kid should have, you know, mm. in order to, to be ready, in my opinion. I think that was a great experience for me because we get to talk to people. We get to tell them, hey, um, this is what you need. There is a list of items that you need to, to focus on. Those are sometimes very affordable items. Probably you have maybe... 40 or 50% of those at home, it's a matter of getting them together and have them handy when the, the worst happen. Yeah. And then in doing this communication with the public, you're able to provide some bilingual education as well. Andres, maybe we can bring you into the, the chat as well. Because, um, you know, yes. we have a, yeah, go ahead. Yes, the this guy that Sabel mentioned, we have both um, language in English and Spanish. We 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 help. They they have a department that they work on the Spanish. We help reviewing the 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 Spanish and finessing some words just to make it more casual. Because sometimes the translations are 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 very like um, are not so casual, and and it is it is better to 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 share the message with more like casual words in the, in a more laid back tone mm -hmm. so we just we reviewed and give a little bit of 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 advice there and then yeah like like Isabel said also in the events we have both um options for to to reach the the, the public the 
the Latino community and with the Spanish guide and also the, the English guide. We have we, we can cover both. And also and the trying to reach the, the public also helped first. Well, it, it helped the, the city of Austin hosting events. And, and for us joining that, that was very helpful because we also tried different ways, but it wasn't that um, successful. It, it's just a little bit more work when you try just to go pretty much door by door, knocking neighbors or or trying to go and, and, and reach wherever they, 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 they get together and try to, to approach them. So, so yeah, it was very uh, nice that we could join those events that 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 we could be there when we're also where the community is. Right. There's already these events happening in the community. Then you all were able to participate and share this emergency preparedness message. Yeah. Um, I wonder in doing this and and talking with people at these events, um, anything stand out to you? Did you have any interesting conversations with people? Like what kind of Things did you learn, do you feel like, from this experience? I want to say, um, in my opinion, that uh, people will help each other in case of an emergency. And one of the part of the, of the guide says, uh, know your neighbors. Uh, have their contact information handy. You know, you also got to know who has different tools that can be able to help somebody in your, in your block, let's say, for example. Um, in, 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 in times of uh, a disaster, I want to say that everybody wants to help uh, their neighbors, you know, sometimes they're going to just check on them if they have water, if they have some food, if they have probably some warm soup, something like that, you know, and uh, I think that was probably uh, one of the conversations that I truly enjoyed having with, uh, with the family. Latino family and uh, I asked them you know you know what did you do when when you know you what happened to you guys when you have to go through the priest uh, in February for example and and they were very kind of like uh, talkative uh, they were giving me ideas about you know we did this we shared this with uh, our friends we check on our family members they were okay you know things like that um, I want to address also that um, I've, um, I always tell them, you know, uh, we're never ready for something like this until we start making a plan. You know, mm -hmm. now that you went through it, what would you do differently if you already know what is going to happen? You know, uh, I just got a phone call this morning, uh, a family from, from the city of Austin, actually, asking me if I knew somebody that knows how to install a generator, you know, because they lost power for several days. And I think this is the, the perfect time now that everything is calm and you have uh, things situated. Uh, okay, go to your list and check mark what you have done and see how you can take care of what is missing, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm curious too, what made you all want to apply for this program in the first place and get involved in the climate ambassadors? Andres, maybe we can uh, start with you on this question. Um, what what made you passionate or interested in this project to begin with, like the whole climate ambassadors program? Okay, Sabel or myself? Okay, me. Okay, well, 
number one yes i read the i was i was on a weekend it was like a saturday morning and i was having a smoothie from a local smoothie place that for sure we all know so and now and i look at the dashboard and they have this poster for the from the city of austin sustainability office and number one yes I, that's a topic that i i'm very interested me and my wife me and my wife uh talk a lot and we try to take decisions and try to to change things in order to to help the environment and to just to try it's always very difficult to 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 do everything more sustainable but there's a lot a lot of little things that that, that we can change and do for better so i read the 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 flyer and i was so interested and they had also the same flyer in spanish and I even fill out the form in full Spanish, and yeah, and they they contact me, um, and but mostly because yeah, I, I'm trying, I'm very, um, I'm very interested in in, in joining change and 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 helping, even volunteering for 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 these efforts. Yeah, and what about you, Sabal? First of all, um, I work as a solar energy advisor locally. So I've been helping families uh, get the information about how to switch to clean energy. And in my opinion, that has to do a lot with sustainability, being able to have energy when to save also on the electricity cost, but at the same time to have energy when things like this can happen, you know. Mm. Obviously, we're talking about technology uh, batteries sometimes with a generator but uh what really catch my attention is that uh it resonated with my passion with my mission also uh what i'm doing in with my business you know uh, i believe uh the city of austin has so many tools and resources that the community would love to know about and the climate ambassador program was a perfect fit for me in order to, to do what I'm doing right now. And that was Sabel Porto and Andres Pedrasa. And that's the last of our Climate Ambassador interviews for today. But there are lots more amazing Climate Ambassadors working on projects in our local community right now. And if you want to learn more about them, you can check out the City of Austin's Climate Ambassador Showcase event on April 29th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Dove Springs Rec Center. The Austin Common Radio Hour is brought to you in partnership by the Austin Common and Co-op Radio. The Austin Common is a local news source that helps Austinites be informed and make a difference in their community. You can learn more about the Austin Common by visiting theaustincommon.com or following us on Instagram at the underscore Austin underscore common. Co-op is a cooperatively run community radio station based right here in Austin, Texas. To listen to more of Co-op's amazing lineup of shows, visit koop.org or tune in to 91.7 FM. This show is hosted by me, Amy Stansbury, and produced by John Hoffner. You can find podcasts of the Austin Common Radio Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And one quick friendly request on this, if you like our show and you find it useful, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. It really does help us to be seen and heard by more folks in Austin. So thank you in advance if you're able to do that for us. Thanks for listening. That's our show.
Türkiye'ye